Hello and welcome to Amplify, supporting young amputees, the Limbless Association's podcast that answers all your questions about life as an amputee. The Limbless Association is a long-standing user-led national charity that's been supporting lives beyond limb loss for over 38 years. We're here for amputees, their friends and family, clinicians, and anyone who is interested in what it's really like to be an amputee. Our activities are based on the fundamental principle that no amputee need cope alone, and we provide support to amputees and their families pre and post amputation. Our services include our helpline, volunteer visitor peer support, support and connect hubs, virtual events, our young ambassador programme, quarterly step forward magazine, and so much more. I'm your host, Ella Dove. I'm an author, journalist and Limbless Association trustee and Young Ambassador Lead. In 2016, I lost my right leg below the knee following a freak accident tripping over while out running. It's been a long road to rebuild both physically and mentally, but the Limbless Association was there for me throughout, helping me feel supported, encouraged and empowered. To join the Limbless Association's community, connect with us on social media or visit our website at www.limbless-association.org. So today, we're going to be talking about phantom limb pain. NHS Online describes phantom limb sensations as sensations that seem to be coming from the amputated limb. These can be painful. The term phantom does not mean the sensations are imaginary. Phantom limb pain is a real phenomenon which has been confirmed using brain imaging scans to study how nerve signals are transmitted to the brain. The symptoms can range from mild to severe. Some people describe brief flashes of mild pain like an electric shock that lasts for a few seconds. Others describe constant severe pain. For me personally, it involves a kind of pins and needles type feeling in my lower leg that's no longer there. Sometimes it stabs and causes my stump to jerk. Incredibly, phantom limb pain affects up to 98% of amputees at some stage. And yet, despite this huge figure, research in the area remains limited. This is why in September, the Limbless Association launched a new campaign in the New Scientist magazine to raise awareness of this condition and push for further medical investigation. And here to tell you more today, we have a fantastic lineup of guests. Firstly, we have David Rose. Hi, David. Hello. So David has been an above-knee amputee for 41 years following a motorcycle crash in his 20s. He has been involved with the LA from the very beginning and is now Chair of Trustees. Secondly, we have Dr Suri. Hello, Dr Suri. Hello. So Dr Suri is a consultant in rehabilitation medicine at Queen Mary's Hospital in London. Along with David, he's supporting the LA's campaign for more research into phantom limb pain. Finally, we have Kim Lyons. Hello, Kim. Hi. Kim is a psychological therapist and specialises in psychoprosthetics and pain management. She's returned to speak to us following her appearance in our first episode on mental health. Great to have you back. So first of all, I'd like to ask Dr. Suri, can you explain to us exactly what phantom pain is and what causes it? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me uh, to be part of the panel. So pain related to amputation can be either in the part where the amputation took place, which is called the residual limb pain, or in the part which has been amputated, which is which can be either in the form of a sensation, which is phantom limb sensation, and in the form of a pain, which is commonly referred to as phantom limb pain. And of course, amputees 
people with amputations can suffer from pain elsewhere in the body, mm. which is commonly due to secondary musculoskeletal pain. But I think what we are mainly focusing today is on phantom limb pain. So first of all, it is important to differentiate between pain as to the exact site of pain and because the causes of residual limb pain are quite different compared to phantom limb pain. Mm. And due to constraints of time, I would not go into the causes of residual limb pain. And we'll just talk about the phantom limb pain today. Mm -hmm. The phantom limb pain, um, as Ella indicated, can be quite prevalent. It can be up to 90-95% of the time at some stage of amputation, either at early or um, long term. So phantom limb pain, there are some uh, explanations and common risk factors. Say if we look at the risk factors, uh, the people who have had an injured or some sort of pathology, whether it is tumor or infection or gangrene of the limb for quite some time before coming to amputation, are more likely to have post-operative phantom limb pain compared to people who have an amputation um, suddenly. People who, are, who have got absent limb from congenital causes don't tend to have phantom limb pain. So these are some factors which are well recognized. So the duration of pain before amputation is important and that is used in getting the ideal management. For example, if it is a planned elective amputation, the primary treatment of phantom limb pain is prevention of getting the pain controlled well before the time of amputation. So the mechanism of phantom pain why does people experience phantom pain? It can be due to uh, different causes. The causes can be peripheral, that is, at the site of amputation. It can be due to a superficial nerve, which is getting irritated. Either it has become too superficial underneath the skin or being pressurized by a socket or by some sort of uh, infection or trauma. And that can initiate impulses going down the nerve to the spinal cord and to the brain. And then there can be central causes, causes due to changes happening in the brain. And this is what is called neuroplasticity. Following amputation, uh, what studies have shown is that there are changes which happen in different parts of the brain. Say we all have sensory and motor representations in our brain for our limbs, both upper and lower limbs. And the proportion of the brain dedicated for certain parts of our limbs are according to the intensity and dexterity of movement. For example, in the upper limb, the hand is represent represented by a bigger part of the motor cortex compared to the higher um, level of the arm, shoulder or elbow. Similarly, in the leg, the foot and the knee is represented by a bigger volume of cortex. So when an amputation occurs, whether it is upper or lower limb, the brain does not get any more sensory feedback from that particular part of the body. And, this, and the surrounding part of the brain tends to take over 
the uh, representation of the missing part, and that is called neuroplasticity. And the researchers show that if the neuroplasticity can be controlled by several techniques like mirror box or graded motor imagery and the principles based on that technique, then the intensity and frequency of phantom limb pain can be reduced. So quite a lot of the treatment modalities have been based on those. And David, I'm going to come to you actually now, because as someone who you've told me you, you've experienced phantom limb pain every day since losing your leg, tell me what it feels like for you. Does it vary day to day? Yes, it does. No two days are the same. My phantom limb pain experience, I, I've attributed to the fact that my my limb loss was severe trauma. The lower part of my right leg was torn off in the accident that I was lucky to survive. I then had another operation because um, I, I, I incurred a gangrene um, infection and, and, and they had to remove my knee. However, um, I now experience in a variable way feelings in every part of my missing right leg from literally above the patella area of where my knee was, right the way down to my the, the tips of my toes. I've spoken to so many people about this, particularly in the work that we do with our peer-to-peer -peer support scheme with the charity. One of the things I will I, I will comment upon is what, what I'm feeling today. And today, I've got a lot of pins and needles sensations around the outside at the back area of, of my ankle, into, into the heel of my foot, um, coming up towards the back of my calf. Tomorrow, it might it may well be my shin area. It could be my instep. I have no control over this. It goes where it wants to go. You know, there are other factors as well. Perhaps we'll touch on that shortly. But really, I have had to adjust to the reality that my my nervous system, I understand, will never accept what has happened to me. I've spoken to people that have stood on landmines and experienced um, the same sort of continual experience of phantom nerve pain. Um, my challenge has been to keep that under control, to make sure that it doesn't interfere with my normal day-to-day -day functioning, mm. particularly in other areas of um, you know, work um, that I'm, I'm still engaged with. But it's, it's this, this variable um, factor that I have no control over, and, and, um, but I have learned to accept it and essentially keep it under control so that I control it it doesn't control me. And I mean, for me, obviously, every amputee is different, as we've said before. For me, I feel it more when I'm sort of tired or run down, um, or also as soon as somebody mentions my stump or indeed phantom limb sensations. So I'm, I don't know about you, David, but I'm, I'm certainly feeling it right now. Um, so are there certain things <laughs> that kind of trigger it more or exacerbate it for you? Well, you've touched on a key point there, Ella. If you've if you concentrate on the subject and, as we're doing now, um, discuss it, um, e even in a dispassionate way, weirdly, it seems to increase the tingling levels more than they were while I was preparing um, to take part in this session this evening. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm used to that. Um, I have found over the years, and uh, I've now got uh, more than four decades' experience, so I think I'm well-placed to comment, tiredness is, is a factor. But I've also learned that to avoid situations of, of, of um, particular stress. Now, we can comment that avoiding any sort of stress, high levels of stress, is 
advisable in just in the course of normal everyday life. But I have found on occasions that high stress has um, exaggerated the phantom nerve pain. And sometimes it'll be, it'll be like I've had a stressful day. I sleep very well. I'm always tired at the end of the day. I'm very active. And then I wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning with my leg actually physically vibrating because um, a spasm attack or how I experience the highest levels of phantom nerve pain has come, has caught me up. It's taken a few hours and I'm, I'm relaxed and sleeping and then bang, it, 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 it sort of hits me. The other occasion is, um, there's been one or two occasions when I've inadvertently um, had a contact on the end of my residual leg and that has triggered it. So I avoid that at all costs. But really, that's, you know, that's, that's been my experience. Mm. And Kim, obviously, phantom limb pain and pain management is one of your specialisms. Um, and you've spoken to me before about how different parts of the brain are connected and the impact that that can have on phantom limb pain and sensation. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Obviously, this is one of my favourite subjects. So I try and keep it as concise as possible. What is really interesting is what David said as well, is in times of stress, pain, a lot of research has shown that pain increases. Stress is very, very physical, very, very physical. When we're stressed, we turn on fight, flight and freeze response, which is really, really effective because it makes us alert to cope with the stress. However, that involves muscles tense and so that will increase the volume and the intensity of the pain that is occurring. The other thing is, obviously, we have got a map of our body, as Dr. Suri explained earlier, there's a map on of our body in our brain, okay, which um, every time we think about that part of the body, so for both of you, Ella and David, every time you think about that foot, you are stimulating that area. And so if you've had your foot for 30, 40 years and then you and then that foot is removed or that leg is removed, that area is still there. The leg may not be there, but that area is still there. And so sometimes it can misfire in that area. And what we have to remember, we can just stimulate that area by thinking of that missing limb also because the whole body is mapped on that area then thinking of other areas may also stimulate that so with legs feet is mapped very very close to the genitals okay so often when I saw clients at Harold Wood they would often say to me that when they go to the toilet or when they do a wee that their foot would appear yeah and that is not surprising because that area is mapped quite close to to it and what is quite interesting is the feet as the feet are mapped very close to the genitals that often people may feel like a foot massage might be quite sensual and that would explain why that happens is mm. because the toes are mapped very close to that area also, some of my ladies would often say time in the month, they would notice their phantom leg or foot more. And, and that could well explain why, because that area, genital area, is mapped very close to the toes. Mm. Sometimes with hand amputees, they will notice that if you stroke the area near the face, that will bring the, the phantom will appear as well. Not with everybody, but with a lot of people that they will explain that. 
And so is that why acupuncture is often an effective treatment because the parts of the body are linked? What is interesting about acupuncture, I think the only thing really that they have in common is it is a diamagratic representations of those areas. In Chinese uh, acupuncture, which has been around for about 2,500 years, uh, the philosophy behind it is that qi is the life energy and is created along pathways that connect the acupuncture points and the body. Okay, so the pathways in between are called meridians and they are supposed to be connected to internal organs. So applying needles, pressure or heat to these areas manipulate and restore the chi energy and hence the symptoms mm. so the common factor within that are mappings so in the homunculus which is the area that maps the body in the brain that is a map and with the chi that is how it's the philosophy of the mapping of the body in connection with the energy Nice guidelines do show that acupuncture can be very helpful for some people with pain. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to David actually there and skip ahead a little bit. I wanted to ask you, David, what treatments you have tried out and what's been helpful and what has been not quite so helpful for you personally? Oh, my goodness. Say, how long have we got? I've tried everything, really. Meditation and mindfulness to begin with, I've used massage with essential oils, heat pads, freezer ice packs. I currently find a lot of um, um, benefit from warm baths if, if I'm having a spasm attack. Um, I have tried acupuncture with, with, with very, very limited success. In the uh, mid-90s, there was a move towards the TENS therapy, if I can remember the correct uh, terminology for that trip transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation or something of that order. And that helped me for a little bit. And then, I don't know, my my um, my nerve sensations got used to it and said, you're going to have to do better than that. <laughs> I tried mirror therapy once. I'd, I was laughing most of the time I was doing that. It didn't do anything for me at all. And now the longer-term benefits I have achieved have been through prescription medication. I personally, and, and, I, and I should stress that, um, each one of us is unique in terms of the impact that our limb loss brings. I use a tricyclic antidepressant and a particular um, high-strength opioid pain medication that I have to sign twice for to, uh, to, act, to actually have the prescription. The options there are considerable, and because of the unique nature of limb loss and the impact, it's, it's difficult to be prescriptive because I've spoken to people that have used other therapies that have yielded very, very efficacious sort of results, but don't work for me. That's the, that's the frustrating element of, of this subject. Speaking for myself, um, those, are the op- that, you know, those are the options that I've explored. There may be other things I'm not yet aware of, but I'm open to everything. Anything that makes it easier to live with this condition is, um, is a good thing. Yeah. And Dr. Suri, um, as a clinician then, when patients first have an amputation, is there anything that can be done at that early stage to try and minimise phantom limb pain? Yes. Uh, First of all, I agree with what David has described extremely well. I think there's no set treatment for a particular patient because the presentation is so different compared to other 
pain in the rest of the body. The phantom limb pain is very challenging and rather different from, it is very unique. And that is, it is very important that it is a multidisciplinary, multi-specialty management rather than there is no single modality of treatment which is going to be quite successful in all individuals. So first of all, we got to assess the particular situation and just to answer the specific question about the early management, as I said, the management should be, first of all, if there is a chance available, pre-amputation, if it's an elective amputation, control the pain as best as possible, mm. either by medication or by physiotherapy modalities or whatever, before the person undergoes the amputation. During the early stages, there will be post-amputation pain like any surgical pain, what we call nociceptive pain, from because of the fact that there has been a surgical um, incision and uh, tissues have been dissected, nerves have been transected, bones have been cut, and there will be pain. And that post-amputation pain, like any pain, has to be managed with uh, either per patient-controlled anesthetic by spinal anesthetic or opioid medication. And you need that for the first few days. And that is post-amputation pain management. And then the phantom pain kicks in, phantom sensation kicks in. It is important the patient is made knowledgeable about them. Otherwise, they'll step out of bed, forget that they have had an amputation and end up with a fall. And I have come across that situation very often. They will unzip the amputation wound and go back to theater to have it sutured again. So they got to be warned that they will have phantom limb sensation. And that is the importance of it. Phantom limb pain, of course, during the early stages is mainly managed pharmacologically by neuro neuropathic medications. Mm. And some of the popular drugs are gabapentin, neuro, uh, uh, neurontin, that is pregabalin, or amitriptyline, which some of these drugs have a dual effect. They calm the sensory nerves as well as gives a sedative effect so the patients get a decent night's sleep in readiness to participate in a physiotherapy program. So the early management is pharmacological and then kicks in the physiotherapy modalities where they desensitize the stump by handling it. I think David mentioned TENS, transcutaneous electric nerve stimulation. Kim mentioned acupuncture, electroacupuncture is often used. And certain therapies are very specialized in these methods of treatment. Mirror box therapy comes in. So there are physical modalities of treatment, pharmacological, and according to the stage of uh, presentation, various modalities of treatment come in. So the treatment can be actually targeted either at the cut end of the nerve, spinal cord, or the brain. And some of the treatment we mentioned, like graded motor imagery, are targeting at the brain level. Mm -hmm. So these are different modalities of treatment. And it has to be actually picked up according to the individual presentation. Yeah. So, Kim, I know that you do mirror box therapy. I haven't had it with you personally. Tell us a bit about that and how it works for people that don't actually understand how it works. Okay. So, graded motor imagery 
uh, we have a lot of people who particularly want to use the mirror box. Um, but what it starts off with is often when people are in pain, they might avoid or try and get rid of it, okay? And sometimes they step away from uh, step away from their body. So you might hear somebody say, I can't even think about my limb because it hurts, okay? So what we what the last thing we'd need to do, if they can't even think about that limb without causing some sort of pain, the last thing we need is to whip out a mirror box and show them that limb that isn't there because they it's very likely they're going to feel huge amounts of pain. So what we do is we assess whether there's discrimination between their left and their right. So say somebody has had amputated left foot, sometimes if they've stepped away from their body, they will identify right legs really well but not left legs. So what we would do, there's apps on phones which show left and right. Uh, they would use the app or cards that show left or right so that they step back into their body. Then what we do is the second part is the explicit motor imagery. This, in my experience, is the best part. And it's really interesting what David said. And also you said, Ella, just thinking about uh, moving that limb is really, really important because it it will stimulate those areas of the brain which is in charge of that area. So what we do is we get people to imagine moving that painful area, that painful phantom, okay? And this is, so it might be that the hand or the foot is in a really uncomfortable position, okay? Or it's itchy and they can't scratch it. So we get them to imagine moving the painful area or the phantom. And then the last part is the mirror, where you physically see a mirror image of the limb, of that phantom limb. And that's the part that people most probably most people say that's what I want and then they might be able to move that uh, painful area or that phantom that's maybe often it feels like it's scrunched up or people with, with phantom hands often feel like their nails of the phantom are digging into their hands and that, that is the last part of it is using the mirror box some people find it helpful some people don't find it helpful at all. And in my experience, it's the visual imagery that is more helpful. And so there are obviously people out there who kind of brush off phantom limb pain and sensation and say, oh, you know, it's just psychological. So I want to come to you, Kim, as a psychological therapist and ask you what your response is to that. Well, I always say it's in the brain. So no brain, no pain. OK, and I think one of the most important things is educating not just only the person, but the family as well. OK, if somebody is told that it's all in their mind, but they can still feel it, then they're going to be thinking and thinking about it and be stimulating that area even more and become more frightened and send set off the stress response. And then the volume and the intensity of the pain is going to increase. So psychoeducation, Dr. Suri sort of mentioned that, uh, is really, really important, especially if possible before the amputation so that the patient, the client can understand that this is actually real. But yeah, the, the, the groundbreaking line is... Is it, it's all in the brain. So all suffering, whether it's physical or psychological, is all in the brain. Okay, it's very stress is very physical. Okay, so yeah, no brain, no pain. The only time we don't feel pain is if um, you have a general anaesthetic which affects the cortex, 
or you have some sort of spinal block which stops the messages going up to the brain. Yeah, psychoeducation is one of the most important things for managing that pain because then it becomes less frightening. And David, how have you seen treatment but also awareness of phantom limb pain sort of change and evolve in the years that you've been an amputee? Hmm. I mean, the, the, the point that Kim just made is very relevant. The, I, I experienced my limb loss in 1979 and I just don't think that, that, that medical science or, or, um, or sort of health services were switched on to the, to the challenge of this subject. Um, I've I, I did quite a bit of reading at the time. I, I was lucky. I had a friend who was studying um, at that exact time at uh, California Institute of Technology, and he sent me some information that was very useful, challenging the received wisdom of those years, that time, that it was psychosomatic. That was a difficult um, issue to get my head around. And, and on the basis of that, I've kept a sort of weather eye on on how medical science and research has been um, following this 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 particular niche subject for us as amputees ever since, I personally don't think it's received anything like the attention that it should have done during um, the forty one years that I've um, been in, in this group. In, in part because uh, there is no cure all because of the as we as we touched on earlier the unique um, nature of limb loss and the impact that it has on individuals. There's no intervention that can simply take it away once the symptoms present themselves. And I know there's a lot of focus on the development of treatments for conditions and diseases that, that will achieve um, measurable benefits for patients. And unfortunately, I think phantom limb pain falls outside of that medical remit. And Dr. Suri, what are the kind of latest developments when it comes to treatments in this area? I've heard that like virtual reality, for example, is becoming more of a popular option. So tell us a bit about the latest developments. Well, first of all, I, I agree with David that unfortunately, the um, established pain clinics, majority of them don't actually specialise on phantom limb pain. And it is a uh, uh, really frustrating thing and I have found that frustrating because when a patient presents with uh, chronic phantom limb pain which has not responded to the routine modalities of treatment, I, I could not really refer them to the specialist pain clinic because none of them stood, stood out as they had anything special to offer. It was not a subject which the conventional pain clinics uh, specialized on. Anyway, that, that, is, that is something which is uh, hopefully would be improved in the future. But uh, the new concepts of pain management, I think uh, one is uh, the uh, central phenomenon and graded motor imagery, which uh, I think Kim uh, explained. And I think there's a lot of scope, hopefully, that it would be developed as a main modality of treatment. And, uh, some of the main advantages are it is non-invasive, it has no side effects, is cost-effective because if an easily applicable toolkit could be provided for a person, there's no reason a patient with amputation cannot, be, can, cannot use it at home uh, and uh, benefit from it and overcome. So graded motor imagery, I think, is the future for the management. And now there are one or two techniques which are coming up uh, which... Uh, deals with the peripheral aspect of phantom limb pain. And that is one is well-known targeted 
muscle reorganization or TMR. The basis of TMR is that when a nerve is cut, you get what we call neuroma, which is an inevitable healing process. Exactly what is happening is the uh, neurons which are inside the nerve sheath is trying to find the other end and grows out and forms when it cannot find the target organ. It forms a bunch of fibrous tissue and that is called neuroma basically. And it is an inevitable healing process. And when the neuroma becomes superficial, uh, whenever a pressure from the socket or any contact can stimulate and can produce unbearable pins and needles and pain. And the new theory of TMR is that if the cut end of the nerve is connected to a muscle, as in a normal physiological anatomical situation, then you don't get neuroma and you don't get neuroma-associated pain. So what they are doing is they suture the cut end of the nerve to a nerve which supply a muscle so that when that muscle contracts, you get the stimulus going back to the brain. So neuroplasticity is avoided and neuroma formation is avoided. So there are studies coming up which says that TMR is beneficial for reducing phantom limb pain. So probably if you look at the uh, recent advances and uh, what is uh, possible applications in the future, I see virtual reality or graded motor imagery on the central side and uh, on the peripheral side, PMR in selective patients. I don't think long-term pharmacology is a solution. And uh, so that is, I think, is the current situation. And Kim, I know that you did run a pain management group. So can you tell us how that's useful and beneficial for amputees suffering with phantom pain? So uh, the pain management group was um, based on acceptance and commitment therapy, which is really interesting because David also mentioned that he uh, he accepts that his his pain levels do differ day by day. Okay, so uh, what is what is good about a pain pain group is that you're getting amputees together and that you're able to share experiences. Okay, also it looked at sort of challenging people's beliefs around their pain as well and looking at the process of acceptance. So acceptance isn't about liking, wanting, or, or approving of the pain. It's about this is how it is today. Tomorrow it might be different. In 20 minutes it might be different. And it's about making sure that you work towards what is really important in your life. So um, things that drive you to get up in the morning. And the beauty of the group was a lot of people prior to the group were like, oh, I'm not quite sure if a group's my my sort of thing. But after eight weeks, they had become very, very close and they had supported each other to process really difficult things that have um, that they'd had to come to terms with from being an amputee and supporting each other to work towards what was important in their lives as well. So um, they did find it very they did find it beneficial. And I have to say the amputees for the, for this group, they shaped it shape the group for fellow amputees because this group originally there had been no groups specifically for amputees 
Um, so it was like a general pain group. So they, um, it was very interesting that they were able to uh, develop the group. So it was more amputee specific. Yeah. And I guess it goes back to that motto of the Limbless Association, which is no amputee need cope alone and how important that is, that shared experience. So, David, what are your hopes then when it comes to research for the future and awareness and also what the Limbless Association is working towards? Yeah, this is a very important um, question, Ella. Thank you. I often hear of research being undertaken in various areas um, of, the, of, of the phenomenon of phantom limb pain, but I don't tend to see or, or learn of outcomes of trials and tests or the reporting of practical results with real patients, mm. which is the key. I strongly believe that a patient-centred approach is necessary to better understand and cope with this condition. There has previously been, in my opinion, too much emphasis on the role of depression and psychological distress in analysing the causes of phantom limb pain from what I've seen of um, of studies over, the, say, the last decade or so. People with personal experience of limb loss need to engage with scientists at the beginning of the research process. We know this approach works because we have seen some incredible advances in prosthetic science and technology uh, which are available to us now, such as the microprocessor in in the prosthetic leg that I'm wearing at the moment. These were developed with researchers engaging with amputees at the early stage and there have been some incredible outcomes that have been achieved. I think the same thing should happen in the area of pain management, a patient-centred approach that brings us, the the people who have the life experience of this phenomena, in at the earliest stage to to help guide and direct the research, um, because I think then we'll see outcomes better than have been achieved thus far. And do you want to just tell me a little bit more about the Limbless Association's campaign with the new scientists that you were involved in? Yes, I recently gave an interview um, for the New Scientist magazine where we were trying to raise awareness Uh, much as we've been discussing this evening about this phenomena and encouraging um, those people that have the the, uh, resources and the opportunity to to undertake research to perhaps bring us on board to help as the leading um, UK charity supporting civilians living with limb loss and working in partnership where I can with um, the sister charity supporting the sort of veterans of military service to help bring our experience and understanding at the earliest possible stage if necessary and we'll find some funding to help facilitate the research in the areas where we think it's it's necessary but i mean we will put our money where our mouth is we 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 are we are committing um to work in this area because i think the outcomes that we can achieve will be will will be so beneficial to the limb loss community that i think it's worth the effort Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you all so much for speaking to me today. It's been really, really great. And I'm sure a lot of people will find it very helpful. So thank you. I'd like to leave you with our final segment, which is called I'm Stumped, where each episode we relay your funniest and most bizarre memories of being an amputee. So this time, that story comes from Leanne Forrest, who is the Limbless Association's Manchester Hub coordinator, who seems to also have a wealth of funny moments that she submitted. This one, Leanne says, 
I use my artificial leg to put the sun cream in to keep it cool on holiday while sunbathing, which is a great idea until your son thinks it would work for his ice cream too. So thank you for that, Leanne. And if you've been stumped, we want to hear from you. Contact us through social media. And remember, to find out more about the charity, visit our website, www.limless-association.org. Thank you for listening.